Truth News Network. Fake news, circular logic, disinformation, outright lies. What do you do when the truth goes underground? Well, here, let me get that door for you. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. Yep, we are digging on from under all of the fodder that's out there that's called facts, news, and information. Very little of it is facts. Hardly any is news, and it's disinformation, not information. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday Hump Day chapter of TNN Live, produced by truthnewsnet.org. We are so glad you chose to join us here today, and let me just start the show by telling you this. We got a bunch, a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. And we're going to begin the show with a story that will probably blow your socks off. And it is a definitive factual compilation of most of what happened in the November 3rd, 2020 election. Was it stolen? That's just a couple of minutes ahead. Wow. This is a blockbuster. And we've got factual information to document and back up everything. Got you thinking, got you wondering, right? So what else is going on in your world, folks? Lots of things are happening. Much of it is hidden, but much of it is not. Well, maybe some of it is hidden, but we were able to pull it out, dig it out, and get some information for you. Before we get into the 2020 election stuff, have you seen our vice president lately? Did you see that show they did with her and these kids and it was all they were all sitting around her in a room and she was talking to them giving them tidbits of wisdom I guess if you saw it you thought it might have been cute kind of cool the vice president of the United States talking to some young students and then we find out the entire thing was staged it was scripted every one of those kids in that video had to audition for a part they're child actors every one of them And many people believe the Vice President Kamala Harris is a child actor as well. (laughs) She laughs like a kid all the time. Well, she came out again yesterday. And uh, this time it wasn't with a bunch of kids. She deplored the European explorers yesterday who first landed here. Using a virtual address at the National Congress of American Indians 78th Annual Convention, And she claimed that Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda will do much to alleviate the damage she attributes to mass migration. Now let's try to put all this together. Since 1934, she said, every October, the United States has recognized the voyage of the European explorers who first landed on the shores of America. But that's not the whole story, she said. That's never been the whole story. Those explorers ushered in a wave of devastation for tribal nations, perpetrating violence, stealing land, spreading disease. She said, we must not shy away from this shameful past, and we must shed light on it and do everything we can to address the impact of the past on Native communities today. Hmm. Payback, equity, all those things, those wokeness things, 
They're coming back around, folks. Biden's multi-million dollar Build Back Better agenda will have a significant impact on Indian country, she said. And she didn't offer any specific evidence or any details of what that means. After she cited the stats, the data, of missing Native American women and girls and claiming the voting rights of Native Americans are denied, no facts, no proof, just throwing stuff out there because she's endowed. Two things, three things. She's a woman of color. She's the vice president of the United States, and she's a Democrat, so she is endowed with inalienable rights to say anything she wants to to be politically correct, no matter who she's speaking to, no matter where, under what circumstances, and what she says. Just because she's who she is, she can say it. And she didn't stop there. Native Americans are more likely to live in poverty to be unemployed, often struggle to get quality health care and find affordable housing. This persistent inequity, she said, this persistent injustice is not right, and the pandemic has only made it worse. She claimed that Biden's $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill will help tackle many of the problems Native Americans face. This bill represents the largest infrastructure investment investment, the I word. She says it's the largest infrastructure investment our nation has made since World War II and presents right now an important opportunity to strengthen Indian country. She called them Indians. You can't do that. That's just as bad as calling people of color Negroes. I'm serious. The White House this year issued twin proclamations greeting both Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. Harris's speech came days after it was revealed those school-aged kids who joined her for that NASA YouTube video were child actors. The Get Curious with Vice President Harris video, it was filmed back in August, folks and tweeted out by the vice president on October 7th to celebrate World Space Week. Nothing that this woman does is not planned, prepared, structured, scripted, and put in play specifically for show. There is no substance to this vice presidency. You can bet on it. And before we get to that election thing, one more thing. Good news came out this morning for Social Security recipients. Social Security's cost of living adjustment coming up for 2022 for Social Security recipients is the largest in decades. Why is that? Because of inflation that according to the Biden administration, it doesn't even exist. 5.9% increase in Social Security benefits. Those checks are going to go up a little bit, and that's good news, but I guarantee you that 5.9% will not touch the cost increases on everything. I mean everything from electricity to gasoline to food to drugs to any time you go out to a restaurant. Went to a brunch this past Sunday, and I went to a restaurant that we frequent quite a bit. We really enjoy it there. And they, just like most other restaurants, during the pandemic, they lost tons of money. 
They lost employees. They were shut down. And it was just a, a, a daisy chain of horrible things that happened to everybody associated with that. And we've been back multiple times since they reopened, but I never really paid attention. Down at the bottom of the menu, small print, this sentence says, prices include an 18% inflation increase. 18%. So what that means, folks, when you go to pay the check, and if you're a very um, giving tipper for your servers at a restaurant and you give 20%, that means with the 18% that they've already added and 20% more from there, you're paying 38% more than the food that they brought to you should cost you. So, retirees, breathe a little easier. You get about a 6% boost. I guess this starts in January. Or maybe it's their fiscal year, November. I I, I really don't know how they keep it, but there's going to be an increase. Uh, There's been an increase, a COLA, they call it, cost of living adjustment, every year pretty much for the last decade or so. I've not heard about ever any decreases, but nevertheless, Any increase in the expense of living today, they'll blame the pandemic. They'll blame the Trump administration. They'll blame everybody but themselves in the Biden administration. This massive inflation. Do you know you can pull into a gas station in New York State today and pay $5 a gallon plus for gas? The same thing in California. Why is that? You know why. Joe Biden pulled the plug. On carbon energy, we got to do away with it. It's evil. The month before he took office, folks, we were energy independent for the first time. Nobody wants to go back and talk about that. Nobody wants to mention anything about that, have a discussion. But it's factual, and it's because of Joe Biden. The tide is turning on this administration. You now have the mainstream media that are going after Joe Biden for his horrible policies and what they're doing to the American people, justifiably so. So let's get right to the next really important thing that I teased you with going into the show, the 2020 election. Uh, it looks like the election really wasn't stolen. Don't get, don't get mad at me. What it appears to have happened, it was bought, bought and paid for. And guess who the guilty culprit is? Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO. During the 2020 election, the run-up, the whole thing, starting months before, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg spent hundreds of millions of dollars And he probably did so with a good cause to turn out likely Democrat voters. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Folks, this wasn't traditional political spending. He didn't write checks to candidates of his choice. He funded a targeted private takeover of government election operations. And the people that normally ran those were nonpartisan. But 
demonstrably ideological, non-profit organizations. Innocent, but give them money. Hmm. Quid pro quo. So analysis conducted demonstrates this money significantly increased Joe Biden's vote margin in key swing states. This unprecedented merger of public election offices with private money and personnel, by the way, is an acute threat to our republic and should be the focus of electoral reform efforts moving forward. The 2020 election, again, was not stolen. It was likely bought by one of the world's wealthiest and most powerful men pouring his money through legal loopholes. But they were loopholes. And after we finish telling you what all's involved, you need to push for those legal loopholes to be closed. The Center for Technology and Civic Life, it goes by CTCL, and the Center for Election Innovation and Research, CEIR, passed a staggering $419,500,000 of Zuckerberg's dollars into local government elections offices. But it came with strings attached. Every CTCL and CEIR grant spelled out in great detail the conditions under which the grant money was to be spent. Now, this isn't a matter of Democrats outspending Republicans. Private funding of election administration was virtually unknown in the American political system before the 2020 election. Big CTCL and CEIR money had nothing to do with traditional campaign finance or with lobbying or other expenses that are related to increasingly expensive modern elections. It cost a fortune to run a campaign at any level now. It had to do with financing the infiltration of those election offices at the city and county level by a bunch of left-wing activists and using those offices as a platform to implement preferred administrative practices like voting methods, data-sharing agreements, as well as to launch intensive outreach campaigns in areas loaded with Democratic voters. Here's an example. CTCLCEIR-funded self-described vote navigators in Wisconsin. And the purpose was, and this is the quid pro quo, quote, to assist voters potentially at their front doors, to answer questions, assist in ballot curing, and witness absentee ballot signatures. And a temporary staffing agency affiliated with Stacey Abrams called Happy Faces, counting the votes in the middle of the election, not chaos, in Fulton County, Georgia. All funded by Mark Zuckerberg. CTCL demanded the promotion of universal mail-in voting through suspending election laws. You heard that. Suspend election laws. Something that only state legislatures could legally do. It happened in every one of these swing states. Plus, extending deadlines that favored mail-in over in-person voting, greatly expanding opportunities for ballot curing, also expensive bulk mailings, 
other lavish community outreach programs that were directed by private activists. CTCL drove the proliferation of unmonitored private drop boxes, which, by the way, created major chain of custody issues, also opportunities for novel forms of mail-in ballot electioneering, allowed for the submission of numerous questionable post-election day ballots, and created opportunities for illegal ballot harvesting. CTCL greatly increased funding for temporary staffing and poll workers. That supported the infiltration of election offices by paid Democrat Party activists that were coordinated through a complex web of left-leaning nonprofit organizations, social media platforms, duh, and social media election influencers. Staff members at the highest levels of Facebook were complicit in this entire process. The amount of additional money these groups poured into election offices in those Democrat voting areas, it was staggering. To put it in perspective, federal and state matching funds for COVID-19 related election expenses in 2020 totaled $479,500,000. Now think about that. Globally, that's what it cost, $479,500 million. The CTCL and CEIR money totaled $419,500,000. It's pretty close to what the government spent for matching funds for COVID-related election expenses. These two private nonprofits were responsible for an 85% increase in total additional election funding. And that big amount was concentrated in a very small number of heavily Democrat municipalities. Although both of these entities are charted as nonpartisan 501c3 corporations, research shows the $419.5 million of CTCL and CEIR spending that took place in 2020 was totally partisan in its distribution and its effects, which is a violation of the tax-free status for 501c3 entities. Of the 26 grants CTL provided to cities and counties in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Virginia that were a million dollars or larger, 25 of those went to areas Biden won in November last year. The only county on the list won by Trump was Brown County in Wisconsin, got about $1.1 million, less than 1.3% of the $85.5 million that CTCL provided to these top 26 recipients. But folks, even in Brown County, Wisconsin, where heavily Democrat Green Bay is located, by the way, the funding disparities are glaring. The Wisconsin legislature provided roughly $7 per voter to the city of Green Bay to manage its 2020 elections. Rural counties in Wisconsin got about $4 a voter. The CTCL funds boosted Democrat voting Green Bay resources to $47 per voter while most rural areas still have the same $4 per vote. Similar funding disparities occur near Detroit, Atlanta, Philly, 
Pittsburgh, Flint, Dallas, Houston, and other cities that receive tens of millions of dollars of CTCL money. Preliminary analysis shows this partisan targeting of CTCL funding was repeated in battleground states across the country. One case study examines the effect of CTCL spending on the 2020 election in Texas. Looking at a chart that's in front of me right now, it shows the counties that received CTCL spending ranked by per capita CTCL spending in Texas. If you look at the chart, you can see the counties with the highest per capita levels of of funding from CTCL were Democrat counties. Tarrant County, which is Fort Worth, is listed as a Republican county, but flipped Democrat in 2020. Denton and Collin counties, which are solidly Republican, are not included because they received no funding from CTCL. Funding and managing elections, folks, has always been a government function, not a private one. And for good reason. This explains why. Private organizations are not subject to the rules for public employees and institutions. They're not required to hold public hearings, can't be monitored through open records requests and other mechanisms of administrative and financial transparency. We call that a loophole, and Mark Zuckerberg exploited that loophole. These entities like CTCL are not subject to the normal checks and balances of the government process. They're not accountable to voters if the public disapproves of their actions. Pretty much they can do anything they want. They can spend as much wherever they want to spend it and nobody can say a thing. The practical effect of this massive privately manipulated election office funding disparities created a shadow election system with a built-in structural bias that systematically favored Democrat voters over Republicans. The massive influx of money essentially created a high-powered concierge-like get-out-the-vote effort for Biden that took place inside the election system rather than attempting to influence it from the outside. So I'm calling the injection of structural bias into the 2020 election and its analysis. It shows it likely generated enough additional votes for Biden to secure the Electoral College victory in 2020. So let's just bring it home. Let's just look at Texas. Although the um, the size and the partisan pattern of these two entities, the Zuckerberg entity, CDCL and CEIR, looking at the pattern and how much money they spent on its face would suggest that efforts harvested a large number of extra votes just because it looks that way, you got to find some more proof. So this whole process analyzed the likely effects of their spending on Biden's vote margin using publicly available data from government reports combined with a bunch of available voter and demographic data available in the public. Specifically included in this is Bayesian additive regression trees. That's BART for short, to learn how changes in key election variables impact the change 
in Biden's 2020 vote share. BART is a machine learning algorithm. (laughs) That's a Facebook, Twitter term, right? It's a mathematical equation. It's considered a gold standard in making casual, causal inferences. It enables us to avoid mistaking correlation for causation in estimates about anything. Like this. For each county, this BART look-see used two-party Hillary Clinton 2016 vote share, turnout percent in 2016, county share of the total state population, geographic location measured in terms of longitude and latitude, and per capita CTCL and CEIR spending. And it used that in this algorithm to predict changes in Biden's two-party 2020 vote margin. It shows, folks, the amount by which Biden's vote total is expected to change as CTCL's per-person spending increases. The actual per capita level of that spending in Texas, represented by a vertical line in a graph, is shown to have narrowed Trump's Texas margin by about 200,000 votes, which, while significant, was not enough to swing Texas into Biden's electoral vote column. But to put this number, this perspective, Ted Cruz's margin of victory over Beto O'Rourke in 2018 Senate race in Texas was only 214,000 votes. It is not inconceivable that Democrats would consider a similar effort were it to take place in, say, 2024, a small price to pay to get Cruz out of office. Think about that looking ahead. So what about those other states? What about Wisconsin and Georgia? In Georgia and Wisconsin, the results suggest a similar impact on Biden's vote margin from CTCL spending. Spending in those states was large enough, likely, and targeted enough to have shifted them into Biden's column. This research and analysis project will culminate in the creation of a counterfactual electoral map based on the combined results of state-to-state analysis. It will reflect how the election results would have looked after the last legal ballot was counted if CTCL and CEIR did not spend their $419,500,000 in 2020. Folks, there's good reason to anticipate the results of this will show that CTCL and CEIR involvement in 2020, it gave rise to an election that, while it was free, was not fair. Looks like the 2020 election wasn't stolen. I would say at this particular point, it's 99% sure that it was bought and paid for by Mark Zuckerberg, and he probably didn't fly alone. There's a bunch of deep, other deep-pocket big tycoons that were anti-Trump in a big way that probably pitched in a little more of their own. And they did it all by walking through legal loopholes. 
if somebody tells you or asks you this question, do you think the 2020 election was stolen? I saw Steve Scalise. He's the minority whip in the House. He's a Louisiana congressman. He's been on our show before. I, uh, I saw Chris Wallace last Sunday morning on that Fox show that he does every Sunday try to pin Congressman Scalise down by asking him that question, and Scalise wouldn't l- let it happen. He countered, even after Chris Wallace berated him, asking it over and over and over again, and he would only say this, there was a bunch of proven voting irregularity and many things happened in violation of the U.S. Constitution, which makes those things illegal because the Constitution regulates the fact that states have unilateral control of all elections and that state legislatures are the only one that can change anything that happens in the structure of a state's elections. Many things were changed, but none of those swing states were they changed in by the legislatures. They were changed by governors and election officials. Was it stolen? We don't know. But what we do know is they weren't run legally. That's a good answer. Why don't you put that one in your, in your hat, put it in your back pocket, and keep it out there. But there's one thing you can say absolutely, positively, is sure. That election was manipulated, and it was manipulated by money. Mark Zuckerberg, who else? We don't know. Mark Twain said, never tell the truth to someone who isn't worthy of it. You exceptional people. Keeping the flame of truth high, bright, and forward. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. In a world where a president can be censored by social media in his own country, 
You need a break from the madness. Your doctor of sanity again, Dan Newman. No doubt, plenty of madness. Plenty enough to go around for all of us. <laughs> we just got fine ways to deal with it. Speaking of madness, what's the latest madness in COVID world? We told you, I guess late last week, maybe uh, Monday of this week, I can't remember when the story broke, but a woman in um, Denver, Colorado was in stage five kidney failure, which is the top, the worst it can possibly be before your kidneys just totally fail. And she needed a transplant, still does as a matter of fact. But she found on her own, she's in the hospital out there, I forget the name of the hospital, but a big hospital, part of a big system in Denver. And she's been on the kidney donor list, she's been approved, she's at the top of the list. She found a kidney donor who was a friend of hers. And this donor stepped forward and said, I'm all in. Well, at the last minute, the lady with kidney failure gets notified by the Denver hospital, we're sorry, you're not going to be eligible any longer for a kidney transplant. Why is that? Well, because the lady that needed the kidney had not been vaccinated for COVID. She didn't want to be. But worse than that was the donor who volunteered. The hospital didn't find her. Uh, She didn't want the vaccine either. So simply because neither had the vaccination, it disqualified this woman and they took her off the donor list. Well, now the same thing has happened again in Cleveland. A vaccinated Ohio man who is today in dire need of a new kidney is having his surgery delayed because of the Cleveland Clinic's new policy requiring COVID vaccinations for organ transplant recipients and donors. So this guy, after more than a year being in pain, testing, finally finding a match, this guy's name, Mike Ganim, was just days away from getting a new kidney before the Cleveland Clinic announced that patients on the transplant list, as well as living donors, are now required to be vaxxed, according to a report from a local paper up there. Gannon's 52 years old. He was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease when he was 27. Had his health turned for the worse in March last year, 2020, when he developed a blood clot that sent him to the hospital. That's when doctors at the Cleveland Clinic told him there was no time to waste that he needed a kidney transplant. His kidneys were so profound with cysts that they just pressed and pressed and pressed on his main vein and it bottleneck and it went all the way down his leg. It reportedly took months for Ganim to get onto the donor list, but he was eventually able to make it in on October of last year. Later, he found a match who happened to be a friend of his wife, the lady's name, Sue George. And after some additional testing over the summer, the surgery was scheduled for Wednesday, today, folks. But then on Friday, just five days before it was scheduled to happen, Cleveland Clinic called Ganim to inform him his surgery was being put on hold because George isn't vaccinated against the coronavirus. George, who is not vaxxed due to religious and medical reasons, 
told News 5 Cleveland that she doesn't have anything against the doctors they have worked with. As she knows, their hands are tied. It's just coming from upper management. The clinic is making what I feel is a big mistake, she said. That's his wife. They're putting this vax ahead of saving someone's life. I'm willing to give a body part, a kidney to this man, and they're not going to do it because I'm not taking a shot. That makes no sense. Debbie reported, his wife, she said that her husband's team is trying to come up with another solution, such as have George undergo surgery at another hospital and then flying her kidney to the Cleveland Clinic. I'm just so afraid, she said. I'm so afraid all over again. I mean, we were crying and crying so many tears of joy and gratefulness over this happening. Now it's the opposite. For organ transplantation using a living donor, which involves the living donor undergoing a scheduled surgery, we are requiring COVID-19 vaccination for both the donor and the recipient before we can proceed with the surgery for the safety of both. That's from the Cleveland Clinic. The news follows a report of what happened in Colorado, so that's two. How many more are out there? And folks, if you don't know anything about kidney transplants, for those who need a kidney transplant when they get on that list, I mean, that's the very last straw before they're going to die. You can't live without your kidneys. The kidneys are the uh, organs of our body that filter out all of the poisons and the bad stuff that our body in its autoimmune system pulls out of our blood and that's the way it's dispelled it has to go through and be filtered by your kidneys that's a big deal for me I was born with three didn't know it for years when I was a kid six years old they found out I had three and two on one side were dying they tried to revive one of the two but when they went in to do the surgery to take out the one that they knew had died they found out the other one on that side had died also so they removed two. I've lived my whole life, never had any problems, thank God, and I've only got one kidney. So kidney issues are a big deal to me. And I really feel for both of these patients and these donors, both the one in Denver and the one in Cleveland, who just made one fatal mistake or what may be a fatal mistake, they didn't get vaccinated. So therefore, they're ineligible to be kidney donors. Wow. Just another chaotic, unexplainable, ridiculous thing in this COVID world in which we find ourselves living. Well, speaking of COVID world, Dr. Fauci, step aside. You're the COVID god. Let's talk about the president of the United States. Less than half, less than half, 42% of Americans according to an Axios-Ipso poll released late yesterday, less than 42% of Americans trust the president a great deal or a fair amount on providing accurate information on COVID-19. This number, less than half, 42%, that represents a 7% point drop from just 30 days ago, a 10% drop from six months ago, a 16-point decline from Inauguration Day. Remember, he told us throughout his campaign, all five times he appeared in public, he said, I'm going to kick COVID's butt. We're going to kill COVID-19. 
So right now today, he has lost, basically lost the expectations game because people have just watched everything that he says, everything he does, and it doesn't line up and it's not working and it's all over the place. It's like he stepped into the Oval Office regarding COVID-19 and he pulled out a shotgun instead of a rifle and started shooting at COVID-19 and it splatters everywhere. Yeah, it may hit something here and there that he wants to hit, but if it happens, it's not because he's aiming at it. It's because he's desperate trying to find something that'll work. Even support among Democrats, folks, has dropped. A majority, 81%, they say they have at least a fair amount of trust in his ability to lead us on COVID stuff. But that's a seven-point drop from where he was two months ago. The percentage of Democrats who say they trust Biden a great deal, it's down from 45% now to 33%. And with independents, that is the benchmark to find out who's doing well in a campaign for re-election or election to any office. The independents, those are ones that identify neither as Democrat or Republican. His support in that group in 30 days dropped from 17% to just 11%. So it's, it's pretty it's pretty obvious the American people don't trust this guy on COVID-19 matters. And there's a whole other big group of ancillary things that go along with all this. There always are. And um, so, Jen Psaki, White House brain surgeon, media guru, as you probably heard, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida have come out vocally against any vaccination mandate, even passing uh, governor gubernatorial executive orders and putting out edicts about what can and what cannot be done to people that refuse vaccinations in their states. Well, yesterday, Jen Psaki, she took to the podium in her press briefing at the White House And she was confronted from this. Now, listen to the question. And then I want you to listen to how she tries desperately to weave an answer into something that's realistic. But she ties herself in knots. Here's Jen Psaki and company in the White House. Uh, Is the administration going to sue Texas over the uh, opposing the order for the vaccine mandates? And is there a risk that uh, kind of uh, the OSHA efforts essentially get tied up in litigation rather than having the immediate effect? Well, Josh, these requirements are promulgated by federal law. So when the president announced um, his vaccine uh, mandates for businesses that, of course, we're waiting on OSHA regulations for as a next step, um, that was pursuant to federal law and the implementation of federal law. because It is not federal law, folks. There is no law. There is no law for mandates. And by the way, she's talking about a executive order, which this will not be done by executive order. That would be a presidential thing. Joe Biden himself has said again and again, I don't have the authority for a vaccine mandate. That's why when he gave that speech last month, he said OSHA, which is a department of the Federal Department of Labor, they're the ones that have the constitutional right to structure what safety 
is involved in taking care of companies' employees. That's the way to roll it out. But there is no law. There will be no coronavirus vaccine law. She keeps saying that, and she still perpetuates the White House's thing to keep people confused, so confused that they're just going to go ahead and go get a vaccination. But she's not through yet. It's an executive order. So our intention is to implement and continue to work to implement these requirements across the country, including in the states where there are attempts to oppose them. I will say, since you gave me the opportunity, um, Governor Abbott's executive order uh, banning mandates, and I would also note announcement by Governor DeSantis this morning, essentially banning the implementation of mandates, uh, fit a familiar pattern uh, that we've seen of putting politics ahead of public health. But fundamentally, beyond the legal aspect, which is unquestionable in our view, uh, the question for any business leader is, what do you want to do to save more lives in your companies? How are you going to create uh, a workforce where people feel safe to go into their workplaces? Uh, what is fundamentally in the interest of your businesses over the long term? Clearly, Governor Abbott knows that federal rules supersede state rules. So why do you think he did this? Politics. Can you elaborate? Well, I think it's pretty clear when you make a choice that's against all public health information and data out there. Uh, that you, it's not based on what is in the interest of the people you are governing. Uh, it's perhaps uh, in the interest of your own politics. And then what's his answer? What's the White House response to people who say vaccine mandates have um, reduced the workforce and contributed to this problem? Well, I know uh, world-renowned um, business, travel, and health expert Senator Ted Cruz has made that point, but um, I wouldn't say that that is widely um, uh, acknowledged or echoed uh, by um, business leaders who have implemented these mandates, uh, by health experts who have conveyed the way to get out of the pandemic is to uh, keep ensure that we are doing exactly the steps the president has announced and we are working to implement. Uh, it doesn't mean this isn't hard and challenging. Of course it is. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. But ultimately, the job of the president of the United States is to lead, is to follow the advice of health experts, is to ensure that he is protecting the lives of people across the country. So I know there was a little um, hubbub over the course of the last few days uh, about uh, Southwest Airlines. We now know that some of those claims were absolutely false and actually the issues were uh, completely unrelated to vaccine mandates. But again, what we've seen business to business across the country is this is the way to save lives, create more certainty, it's good for the economy, and it's something we're looking forward to implementing. At listening to Jen Psaki and this whole diatribe, Man, I miss somebody that gives out real information, like Kaylee McEnany, Trump's White House press secretary. She was very matter-of-fact. You just heard that last little segment. She was talking about the Southwest Airline, the massive number of flights that began to be canceled over the weekend and even into yesterday and on Monday, and it still continues. And, of course, everybody was saying there's got to be a direct tie between that and Southwest Airlines' mandate that every employee of the entire airline has got to be vaxxed or else. And she just said, oh, that's been debunked. It's not that. It was a combination of things. You know, the feds put it out there. There wasn't a air traffic controller problem. It had to do with weather, primarily with weather. So let me get this straight. 
Southwest has canceled now close to 3,000 flights since Saturday, and it has to do with weather. And the weather cancellations of flights only applied to Southwest Airlines. She just ball-faced lied to the American people in that little segment that you just heard her say. It is because of vaccine hesitancy of not just pilots, but a whole bunch of other Southwest Airlines employees. It's amazing. It's not surprising, but it's amazing that the White House spokesperson, Jen Psaki, can get up in front of the media, basically getting up in front of the American people because what she says is what all of those press people, media people in the room are going to report, and it's not true. On its face, it's not true. It can't be proven. And I can disprove 90% of what she said with facts just like most Americans can. But yet, there is a, a populace out there that they just listen to what comes out of the White House. Hook, line, and sinker. Never asking a question, never questioning what is said, and just taking it at face value. Same thing about the president. Same thing about politicians at the national level. So she talked about the federal government's rules on a vaccine mandate. There is no rule in the federal government now on a vaccine mandate. She acknowledged yesterday that an enforceable rule from the Department of Labor's OSHA, we just talked about, it's not here yet. And she promised that it will be coming. And she said she couldn't offer an expectation of when that'll be finalized. Now, I explained yesterday how the process works. OSHA puts out a rule. They have to notify, put out a notice that they're about to issue a rule on employee stuff. When that rule is formally issued, there's a waiting period in which it can be tested. Tested by who? (laughs) There are 19 attorneys general of 19 different states that as soon as that rule is published, they're ready to file a suit against the federal government, against OSHA. The federal government probably named the president of the United States in their lawsuits. It's unconstitutional, folks. Yeah, the Supreme Court back in the early 1900s on a case, they ruled that the federal government can issue employee mandates. But what that case did not apply to was taking away the privacy, the health privacy that's provided constitutionally to every American. Here's what she said about this rule. Quote, I would say that requiring and mandating for businesses of 100 people over vaccines is not a small task. That's a big, bold proposal idea and something that we want to implement with as much clarity as we can. We know there will be questions even after these rules are put out. We understand that. But that's why we wanted to take a little bit of time, not too much time, to get it done. Okay, let me put that in the context of this big thing. First of all, when any administration, any time OSHA announced a new big rule like this, they put 
the substance of what they want to put in it. They put it out so everybody in America can look at it and make determinations, make suggestions for edits, file lawsuits if that's necessary. But back up a little bit more, even in the context of what we're talking about here. According to Saki, we're talking about people's lives. I mean, fellow workers, people that they come in contact in these businesses. If they're unvaxxed, they're going to be exposed to COVID-19 from the unvaxxed employees. We've got to rush and push this out. Folks, they haven't even issued a draft of the rule. If they put it out today, I can bet you a year from now, it will still not be implemented because it's going to be tested in court. And the court cases that we're talking about, they're not just going to be filed in state district courts. They're going to be filed in federal courts. And you know what that means. They're going to end up. They're going to end up at the Supreme Court. We're talking about a lot of time. And so knowing how desperate we are in America to get every employee, get every American vaccinated, why wouldn't the administration, why wouldn't Saki be up there saying, we've got to get this done now. Here's the rule, the draft rule. This is what we're putting out there. This is what our experts say will take care of the problem. And President Biden has informed OSHA to put this out formally to get this process started. They don't even have a draft of the rule. So why would they be doing this, Dan? There's only one reason, folks. There's only one reason. It's just like saying for over a month now that the Pfizer vaccination is fully approved by the FDA when the one that they're jabbing into your arm, if you go get a Pfizer shot today, is not fully approved by the FDA. The comartity, that's the one that the FDA approved. It's in the mandate. It's in the, the release that they made. When Joe Biden said it's fully approved, they put out the formal approval. It was of another product that Pfizer had been doing. They fully approved that, but they said the big banana, the BioNTech vaccine, remains in emergency use authorization only. And what does that mean? If you think I'm lying, call your local drugstore and ask. Tell them you want to come get a vaccination for the Pfizer comartity drug. They'll either laugh at you or they'll say, we don't have it. You know why? It's not in production. It's not being put out in the nation. You can't get a vaccine of that drug. Why'd they do that? The same reason why they keep pushing this OSHA mandate. They want everybody to think it's done. Everybody's going to have to get vaccinated. And so you're go- just go ahead and go out and get your vaccine. It's going to happen. You might as well get it now. I mean, why not get it now? You might die if you get COVID while you're waiting to get it. So go ahead. Go ahead and get it done. That's exactly what this is about. It has nothing to do with it being right being good, being valid, or being necessary. It has to do with whatever is bubbling under the surface behind their rapid push to force everybody to be vaccinated against COVID-19. We're not going to get into the other stuff. 
we could sit here all day and talk about the what ifs and what do you think, what could be really going on behind the scenes, speculation, sure, a lot of that. Conspiracy theorists, there are a lot of those out there, folks. All I can tell you is, I've not been vaccinated. I have natural immunity. <laughs> More about that in a minute. They hate natural immunity. I don't know why. Rand Paul up with that explanation. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. American band. That was a hot song. Boy, they got after it. I, I was in the early 70s when this thing came out, and I was a radio DJ, and man, Grand Funk Railroad, they were all about big rock and roll music back then. What about that natural immunity thing that I uh, referenced before we went to break? From the very beginning of the March 2020 lockdowns, the subject of natural immunity, that it's also now called post-infection immunity. It's been neglected. Once the vaccine became available, what began with pretty much silence at the beginning turned nearly into a complete blackout of natural immunity. Even now, hardly anybody's talking openly about it, presumably in the interest of promoting universal vaccination and the required documentation of that vaccination as a condition of just participating in life in the United States and even your job. But still, folks, regardless of whether or not people are talking about it, natural immunity exists. And there's a bunch of studies out there that prove it. Now, you know us here at Truth News Network. What do we do? When there's a question about something, especially in healthcare these days, we go do some digging and find out what the facts are about this. You remember that mask thing? 
on our show and on our website, we published the results of 41 tests, laboratory peer-reviewed tests of the efficacy of every type of mask as it pertains to stopping the spread of COVID-19. 41 different studies. And by the way, we published them, all 41. And by the way, each of the 41, every one of them came from the CDC's own website. They touted these tests. There was only one mask that had even a small, tiny, tiny, tiny likelihood of being able to stop COVID-19 transmission. Not even a regular N95 mask. It had to be an N95 mask that was sealed off and the person wearing it was on oxygen. In other words, none of the masks work. Well, I'm not going to get into the number. We won't go start reading these studies, but I'm looking right now in front of me at 30, 30 different laboratory tests controlled, peer-reviewed test that confirm the validity of natural immunity and its effectiveness at attacking viruses, folks, including, by the way, COVID-19. We're going to publish those. I'll put those up on the website tomorrow morning. 30 different tests. 30 different tests. Rand Paul, senator from Kentucky. He's a doctor, by the way, and he has a little inside information about a lot of health care things, most health care things, and you and I, unless you're a physician or a nurse, you probably don't know. And so when he gets up and gets a microphone, and um, <laughs> a microphone and he's not staring in the face in a committee hearing of, Dr. Anthony Fauci, as they go after each other's throats, which they do every time there's testimony before a committee on which Rand Paul serves. But he's in the Senate chamber, and he's on the floor. And he got up yesterday to explain some of this craziness and chaos that's going on about natural immunity, COVID-19 vaccinations. Here's Senator Rand Paul. We are a huge success but we're a a country misguided and led astray by media that aren't honest. So for example, if you watched CNN, you would think that nobody's getting vaccinated and it's a complete disaster and whoa, we're stuck in this rut because no one's vaccinated. It's completely untrue. Over 90% of people over 65 who are the most vulnerable are vaccinated. Now, sure, there are a lot of younger people who aren't vaccinated and there's some older people, but 90% is a pretty good success. Over age 50, it's like 75, 80% of people. People are informed. They know this is a disease that can affect any age, but affects primarily the older ages. For example, the one truth you won't be told is an 85-year-old has a 10,000 times greater chance of dying than the 10-year-old. Now, you think we should treat them the same? If you were their doctor, do you think a 10-year-old should get the same health care and the same prescriptions for what they need to do as an 85-year-old? Makes no sense at all. I see 10-year-olds and I see 5-year-olds out on the mall. My wife and I are walking down to the Lincoln Memorial the other day and I see 5-year-olds in in groups led by teachers wearing masks outside. There is no science to that. 
We got Dr. Fauci spreading mistruths across the country, saying we've got to forcibly vaccinate the kids. There's no science behind any of that. In fact, England is rejecting what we're doing. In England, because of the age skew, because of what they're seeing, that the people most at risk are of an older age, they're actually saying, instead of forcibly vaccinating children, why don't we try to make the vaccine doses available for the elderly? Why don't we target our care to those who are at highest risk? We have a problem in our country. We have people who have so politicized science that there are people struggling and dying every day because they've never heard about monoclonal antibodies. We have people dying every day because the government, at the behest of Dr. Fauci and a few other people, have said you can't get monoclonal antibodies if you're in the hospital. I talk to people every day who really have not yet heard of monoclonal antibodies, who get COVID again after being fully vaccinated or sometimes not being vaccinated and are not getting the treatment. Because Dr. Fauci says if you're in the hospital, you don't get it. And so we have medicine that is coming from on high from a central authority like the Politburo and doctors are afraid to prescribe. This has never happened in our country before. Doctors were able to make their own decisions based on their own experience, based on studies, based on real life examples, but using their own discretion. Now doctors are afraid to prescribe monoclonal antibodies and many of them are disallowed from prescribing it in the inpatient. Realize the ridiculous nature of that. You're in the emergency room, you're sick and you're coughing. You might be dying from COVID. You get to the emergency room, you don't know what to say, you can barely talk. Your spouse has to be able to tell the doctor, please stop in the emergency room. Give them the monoclonal antibodies before they're admitted. Because once they're admitted, we won't treat them. It's the same way with symptoms. You have to have symptoms within the first 10 days. If you don't have symptoms, if you're on day 11, you won't get monoclonal antibodies. It's completely arbitrary, it's capricious, and it has to do with government-mandated guidelines. Let's take some of the other truths or mistruths that are out there. I've said over and over again, cloth masks don't work, because they don't. Peer-reviewed studies have shown time and time again, cloth masks don't work. But when Dr. Fauci tells you all masks work, when he comes in all draped with three masks on himself, with little insignias, clever insignias of different sports teams, he's actually spreading a mistruth that causes lives to be lost. Why? Let's say you have a 75-year-old woman and she gets COVID and her husband's taking care of her. Do you think the advice to go into the room to feed her, bathe her, help her get in and out of her clothes while she's sick, wearing a cloth mask is a good idea or a bad idea? It's malpractice. And yet, for some reason, the left-wing media has lauded this man as the second coming and what he's telling you is absolutely verifiably dangerous to your health. The only mask that really works of any real value is the N95 mask. The surgical masks have some value, but not very much. Most of the air is going around the mask. They just aren't of value, but you have to submit. The man's telling you to do it. You gotta do what you gotta do. But the thing is, is when you tell people something safe, they tend to react to that and have behavior. And in their behavior, they're in favor of something that may well actually be risky behavior for them. The vaccinations, because we ignore natural immunity, we directed the vaccine to the wrong people and still are. So for example, because of Dr. Fauci's lead, India is accepting his lead as well. In India, there's not enough vaccine. They have a billion people. They can't vaccinate enough people fast enough. So if you have a billion people and you have 200 million doses of vaccine, who do you think you should give it to? 
Should you give it to the 10-year-old the same as the 85-year-old? No, that's ridiculous. But what about two 65-year-olds and one of them's had COVID and one of them hasn't? The studies are plentiful. The studies are throughout that say that if you've already had it, you have, you have natural immunity to COVID as good or better than the vaccine. Do you think it makes good public health policy to say that everybody that's 65 should get it instead of saying, have you had it? Why don't we check you for antibodies if you think you've had it? Maybe you should wait until we've vaccinated every 65-year-old that doesn't have immunity. These are the real things. These are real discussions. But if you have these, unless it's on the Senate floor, actually, that's not even true. You can say this on the Senate floor and YouTube will take it down. I've had it happen. I've given speeches on the floor that YouTube takes down. So this is a world in which people need to realize and get back to the ideas of classical liberalism where that we debated things. Classical liberalism was about skepticism. It was about you having your opinion and me having my opinion. But the difference between the elitist or the collectivist point of view and the individual rights point of view is, I believe you have every right to your opinion. But if you're a collectivist and you believe that from the very top down, all medical decisions come from Dr. Fauci, and if he doesn't want you to fly, you don't get to fly, it's different from individual liberty because I think if you have a differing opinion, you're welcome to your opinion. And if an airline has a policy I don't like, maybe I'd choose not to fly. But the idea that we're going to restrict everyone's behavior based on what they decide to do, what's next? People eat too many cheeseburgers. We're not going to give them a heart stent because we, we think they haven't behaved and they haven't listened to the doctors on what they should be eating. There is no end to this. But in the end, if we're not careful, we are going to spend this country into oblivion. COVID's a big cause of the extra spending we have now. But I can tell you, there are ramifications. They're coming quick. They're coming in the form of higher prices. But there is no reason in the world for us to default. We have plenty of money. We should simply pay for the interest based on what comes in every month. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Rand Paul, doesn't agree with very much that Dr. Fauci says about COVID-19 and the restrictions. You heard Dr. Paul there. You heard him talking about the specifics, the mass thing, the vaccination thing. We just don't know. We just don't know. Antibodies. We know. There is evidence in the marketplace of ideas that have been there for years about natural immunity. That's exactly what treating viruses and bacterial infections has always been about. Activating the patient's autoimmune system to attack and eradicate the invading virus and or bacteria. And the way they do that is they beef up, they being the antibodies that our bodies produce naturally, beef up the attack mechanism and go after these invaders. It works, folks. It works. In all kinds of ways, it's been proved. And as I told you, I've got 30 tests that we're going to publish on the website after the show today, truthnewsnet.org, that you can see anybody Autoimmunity, natural immunity, works. Nobody can say it doesn't. And by the way, when it comes to um, when it comes to Dr. Anthony Fauci, poll came out yesterday and said way more than half of Americans don't believe what Dr. Anthony Fauci is telling us now. He's been exposed again and again and again for purveying false information, telling us lies in many cases. And it just doesn't work. And so with this 
employee mandate, this vaccine mandate for employers that have over 100 employees, that's scaring everybody to death. And even state governors are now putting in those same mandates. Yesterday, a federal judge in New York granted an injunction in favor of 17 healthcare workers that applied for religious exemptions to the COVID-19 mandate of the governor of New York. U.S. District Judge David Hurd is the one that issued the injunction. It's effective all across New York. Temporarily bars New York State from forcing employees to fire medical workers seeking a religious exemption. They haven't even gotten that determined yet, but they said, too bad, we're going to go ahead and fire you. The question presented by this case is not whether plaintiffs and other individuals are entitled to a religious exemption from the state's workplace vaccination requirement. Instead, now this is from the judge, instead the question is whether the state's summary imposition of the mandate conflicts with plaintiffs and others' individually federally protected right to seek a religious accommodation from their individual employees? The answer to that question is clearly, yes, it does. The judge heard, also left the door open for an appeal, writing, because the issues in dispute are of exceptional importance to the health and religious freedoms of our citizens, an appeal may very well be appropriate. Now, what this is all about, folks, here's a judge that, obviously, I don't know anything about him. U.S. District Judge David Hurds, federal judge, but in a federal district. But here's a guy that looks at it and says, basically, you know what? It's not black and white. It's not. There's got to be certain circumstances viewed in this thing. There's got to be precedent viewed in this thing. And we've got to find a way to balance all of the little bitty decisions involved in coming up with a big decision at the end of this. We've got to put them all in balance, put them out there, and figure out how the chain goes and what it looks like at the end of it. So he left it open for his uh, his opinion, his injunction to be challenged in court. And I'm sure New York State will challenge it. But folks, at the same time, look at what was at stake in that. Those 17 healthcare workers, and they were first responders, they're just a small segment of the health care workers, the first responders in the whole state of New Mexico, uh, of New York. And they were going to work every day with the threat of being fired hanging over their heads. Think about what this is doing to the psyche of Americans that are consumed more and more every day or consumed and just eaten up with fear, fear for their jobs, fear for their health. I mean, come on now. Let me ask you just a straight question. What's going to happen to you if you get COVID-19, if you haven't already had it? What's going to happen to you? A second part of that question, if you get a bad case and you go to the emergency room, what they're going to do every time is they're going to diagnose us even without a, without a test. They're going to treat it as COVID-19. You're going to be immersed into their priorities. Every hospital has a plan. And I mean, it's in writing how from top to bottom in that hospital, every patient 
that is diagnosed with even a severe respiratory issue is to be treated as a COVID-19 positive patient. And I mean, it's all the stuff. There are levels of CO2 concentration. Your oxygen level, your pulse ox. And if when, any time in your stay in the emergency room or in the hospital upstairs, if you're admitted, if you fall within these parameters, they're going to force you and have the legal right to do it force you to take medications that you may not want, like remdesivir is one. And there are many, many others, and the stories are out there in the thousands of people that have got into literal wars with their doctors that are treating them in inpatient capacity at hospitals because these patients or these patients' loved ones, if there are sometimes kids, sometimes they're elderly, they don't know what to ask for or what to allow, and these these family members are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. i got to be completely honest with you. Let, let, me, let me just tell you this. If I really got a bad case of COVID-19, I'm 68 years old, I'm in good health. If I got a case of it and I needed health care, I would not allow myself to be checked into a hospital. There are a couple of hospitals in Texas that would be fine with, but not many, and I don't know of, and there I'm sure others, but I, I'm not positive about it. I have a friend right now, a really good friend that's younger than me and in better health than I am. He is now, he's been in the hospital in bad shape, really bad shape with COVID-19 for three weeks. He's been in and out of intensive care. He was even put temporarily on a ventilator, which is a scary thing, really is a scary thing. His name is Hugh, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him. And he's on, he's on the, uh, the downside. I mean, he has gotten over the hill. He's gonna be okay. At some point, I'll be able to sit down and talk to him. But I'll get you. I'll bet you. I know. I know Hugh. If I ask him, if you had it to do over again, what would you do differently? He would probably tell you the same thing I'm about to tell you. I would do. I have a personal physician who looks at the total package. He's very objective. He's been in business, the healthcare business, as a doctor for many, 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 many years. He's seen every kind of case come before him and he's dealt with it, I would get him to diagnose me and that I needed home health care. And I would stay at home. And I would be treated at home so that the real procedures that a doctor, my doctor, who knows me, knows my health condition, everything about it. He knows that I only have one kidney. He would be the one that would be calling the shots for me and prescribing medication for me and procedures for me. And that's all cool and all that kind of stuff. You've got this guy that'll do this for you, Dan, but I'm not in that. Listen, what's sad about all of this is that I would even think about the necessity for me to do that, to spurn normal 
health care treatment. In the context of what I've done for my life, you do realize I started a health care company 30 years ago. I've made a lot of money in my lifetime in work in my own company dealing with and working for these very doctors in these very hospitals that I'm having a big question mark in my mind now over the efficacy of what they say should be being done to COVID-19 patients in treatment. There are too many question marks up there. And by the way, whatever the answers are to these questions, those answers will impact our lives and impact the lives of everybody else in our circle of influence. They make a wrong call. It may be a bad number to the hospital, but to you and me and our family members, it could be life or death, and in many cases is life or death. It's a really big deal, folks. And for medical experts like Anthony Fauci to stand up in front of the American people and basically say, if you don't listen to what I'm saying and agree with me, If you don't do exactly what I tell you to do, you deserve to die. He's never said that. He may have, but I've not heard him say that, but he's gotten really close to it. And then when a huge majority of the things that he has told us are absolute documented factual, there's no question about it, and we find out later in almost every case, not every case, but at least half of those things he has told us through the last 18 months, have proven to be false. And he takes no accountability for the falsehoods. How many people have made life-changing decisions for themselves and for their loved ones based upon what Fauci said were facts? That's something he's going to have to live with. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, New Jersey Democrat Governor Murphy is in deep doo-doo, Phil Murphy, having to do with COVID lockdown restrictions that he has made in New Jersey for the people of New Jersey. That and also jobs report out a whole lot more. And oh, by the way, we're going to look at what the CEO of Southwest Airlines has to say about this whole mandate thing. Yeah, You know, that airline where they lost all those flights over the weekend, a couple of thousand of them, and everybody was saying, you heard Jen Psaki say, oh, it had to do with air traffic control and weather. It had nothing to do with vaccines. It was solely due to a bunch of Southwest Airlines employees, specifically pilots, that staged a sick out, unofficial, informal sick out, to express their angst at the vaccine mandate that Southwest Airlines has put out. That's all just ahead. We don't have a whole lot of time left, 40 minutes, but we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Back in just a moment at TNN Live. On every continent, in every capital, in homes like yours, this is TNN, the Truth News Network. 
Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger, the flame-fresh taste? Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame-broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger with double the flame-fresh taste. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell & Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell & Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men. Before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell & Cordell. A partner. Men can count. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, he is in the bullseye now of the ha-ha-ha caught in hypocritical actions circle. He was caught maskless, and he was at an indoor ball, and he's doing that just weeks after he imposed a mask mandate for young kids in school. He attended what was known as the Equality Ball on Friday. It was put on by a nonprofit, Garden State Equality, with other New Jersey officials at the Asbury Lanes in Asbury Park, which is a part of Monmouth County. And by the way, that has the highest risk of COVID-19 transmission, according to the CDC. That's number one in the state. Well, that didn't stop the party, though. Murphy, who was up for re-election this year, and the other attendees... They were all caught with their masks down. They went to a dinner, maskless, and pictures are all over the place, posted online. Murphy, as well as Representative Frank Poloni, were seen not wearing masks. Several state lawmakers spoke out on the governor's maskless gallivanting. State Senator Holly Shepizy said in an email that the maskless party is this type of hypocrisy that is driving people in New Jersey insane. At the very time this government issued another EO mandating two-year-olds wear masks for upwards of seven hours a day because of purported safety, at the same time the New Jersey political Democrat elite, they gathered maskless by the thousands at multiple indoor events throughout the state, including in high-risk Asbury Park, Bergen, and Hudson counties. The people of New Jersey are being told by this administration they got to comply. Don't ask questions or you'll get labeled a knucklehead or worse, while those demanding compliance flout the very policies that they push. Have you noticed this? I mean, this is not just Phil Murphy in New Jersey. I mean, it's Gavin Newsom over and over and over again. 
governor of Washington state doing the same thing. Mayors all over. Political elites of all types and all kinds of offices, from the federal government down to the local level. They're all signing on for these horrendous mandates of all kinds. You got to wear a mask, got to wear. Have you tried to even put a mask on a two year old baby? Yet alone get them to wear it. I mean, we gave you, we, we, we gave you a story we related one, one incident that happened on American Airlines where a mom and dad with this little baby boy, they were actually kicked off a flight and were banned from American Airlines because they couldn't get their kid to put on a mask and keep it on. The weaponization of everything, the weaponization is one of fear. Fear of the unknown. So we don't have the real answers, but let's make, let's fake it like we do know. And then use that as a weapon against anyone who disagrees with us. I I just can't, I just cannot reconcile, especially people in a service industry like the airline industry, even thinking about attacking their customers, which are airline flyers. I mean, I don't know of any commercial airline that gives away seats. Every time I fly, I pay for it. And by the way, it's getting more and more expensive to fly. And the service is getting worse and worse and worse. And now they look at passengers. Many look at passengers. If you get on a flight, you're an enemy. You're out to kill me. And if you don't do exactly what I tell you to do, I could die. But you know what? I'm not blaming those flight attendants so much as I'm blaming the leadership in Washington. Dr. Fauci, President Biden, everyone up there, they have dittoed this weaponization of everything to do with COVID-19 against the American people. It's egregious. It's, It's just unbelievable that it not only ever happened, but that it continues on a daily basis. If you don't listen to what we say and do exactly what we say, not only are you going to die, before you die, you're going to kill everybody that's already been vaccinated, which is an oxymoron of epic proportions, probably worse than any I've ever heard. Did you hear what happened regarding employment? The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics released a a report uh, yesterday. And that report they released showed that 4.3 million Americans, listen to this folks, 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs in August. In August, just a couple of months ago. Basically folks, our pandemic is over. Everybody's back at work, but 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs. The number of job quits increased 3%. That's almost a quarter of a million from the previous month. And that number includes, that quarter of a million includes 157,000 workers that are in the accommodation and food services sector of the economy, 26,000 in wholesale trade, 25,000 in state and local government education. However, quits decreased 23,000 in real estate and also in rental and leasing. These numbers indicate businesses were lowering their hiring. The number of hires in August decreased by 4.3% or 439,000. 
However, job openings also declined sharply after seven consecutive months of massive increases. The Labor Department announced the employment vacancy fell 6.6%, or 659,000 from July to 10.4 million in August. This number marks the first monthly decline of a job opening since the beginning of 2021. So how do you put all these numbers together and come up with the bottom line? Well, I mean, let's just be completely honest with you. 4.3 million Americans left their jobs in August. So what that normally means, those 4.3 million are looking for another job somewhere else. But companies apparently are reducing their overall workforces. They're not looking for these people. They're finding or trying to find ways to handle the losses of these people by spreading it out among the rest of their employees. Now, why would you say that, Dan? Give me another answer. 4.3 million quit, and at the same time, job openings went down. The only reason job openings went down, there's only two possibilities. One, the number of people that are working went up. That didn't happen. Or people that quit resulted in these companies reducing the number of people they're going to keep at their companies working. Either answer is not a good one, folks. It's not a good one at all. Now, we talked yesterday, we talked on Monday, we've already talked this morning about what Southwest Airlines has done with their employee mandate. Everybody's got to be vaccinated, according to the company, or you're going to get fired. I think their date is early November. Well, their CEO, a guy named Gary Kelly, yesterday, listen to what he had to say. He came out and voiced his displeasure with the White House's mandate for major airline companies. But he said his hand is being forced by federal rules. There is no federal rule, Mr. Kelly. There's not one published. You jumped the gun. You and your board of directors jumped the gun by issuing your mandate because we don't even know if OSHA will ever issue a rule. And even if they do, if it'll be able to make it and last it through the court test. CEO Gary Kelly, he told CNBC's Squawk on the Week that a protest among employees over the mandate had zero to do with the wave of flight cancellations in recent days, which is hogwash. That's exactly what it was, according to members of the Pilots Union. But he acknowledged there are some employees with very strong views on both sides of the VAX issue. He added, he himself is not in favor of the mandate coming from the Biden administration. He said this, there's absolutely no issue in working with our employees. Talking about the vaccine mandate, oh yeah, I mean, there's some that have very strong views on both sides of that. And you know, it's not as I think you probably know. I've never been in favor of corporations imposing that kind of mandate. I'm not in favor of that, never have been. But the executive order from President Biden mandates that all federal employees and then all federal contractors, which covers all the major airlines, have to have a vaccine in place by December 8th. There is no executive order from President Biden. There is no rule, sir. So, he said, 
We're working through that. We're urging all of our employees to get vaccinated. If they can't, we're urging them to seek an accommodation, either for medical or religious reasons. His goal, he said, is that no one loses their job. The objective here, obviously, is to improve health and safety, not for people to lose their jobs. So yes, we have strong views on that topic, but that's not what is at issue with Southwest over the weekend. That's exactly what happened over the weekend, Mr. Kelly. You know it. Why not just come out and tell Americans the truth? Have you heard of Representative Chip Roy out of Texas? He's a firebrand. Now, being from Texas, which is where Southwest Airlines is headquartered, he said yesterday that Southwest is showing no remorse for firing employees for refusing to take the vax. And uh, that, again, is being said to have caused hundreds of flight delays since October 9th. In response to what you just heard, we told you from Southwest CEO, Mr. Kelly, Representative Roy yesterday said, It's BS. (laughs) It's BS. No remorse from the CEO of a once great rebellious airline for saying you will force your employees to get vaccinated or be fired. Oh, everyone else is doing it, the congressman echoed. Who gives a crap? Representative Roy announced Sunday he's working on legislation that will require all companies that took COVID stimulus money to return the money if the companies terminate employees for refusing to take the vaccine. This is going to be a kicker. I love this. Here's what he said about it. I'm working on legislation to require all companies that took bailouts to have to pay them back in full if they fire any employee for lack of vaccination per Joe Biden's pending unconstitutional order. The anchor, Andrew Ross Sorkin, tweeted Sunday that Southwest Airlines accepted $3.2 billion from taxpayers during the pandemic. Interesting. We're going to watch that. And let me just tell you what a firebrand Chip Roy is. Um, I caught him on the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday. And he was responding to that legislation that was out there to raise the debt limit. A lot of people just yawn when you talk about all raising the debt limit. It's really getting serious. You heard Senator Rand Paul at the end of his speech that you heard the bid on about the problems with these mandates and all the disinformation out there. He said, we're not going to default on our debt. We could, we're paying $700 billion in interest on our loan debt as a nation every year. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but we have that money to do it. We should just pay the debt and move on. We should pay our bills instead of borrow money to pay our bills. We need to cut some of these massive programs of federal spending that are full of all kinds of pork, unnecessary things, just paying off people to support us politically. And I'm paraphrasing. Well, Chip Roy took on the Speaker of the House yesterday from the floor of the House of Representatives about the debt limit increase. Here's Chip Roy. Yeah. So, Mr. Speaker, I'm hearing two things from the other side. One is that they're fine with ignoring the debt if it's on things that they like. 
Um, and then two, I'm hearing that they're fine with defaulting on the debt, therefore throwing our economy into ruin. I mean, talk about irresponsibility. I reserve my time. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I would uh, just want to thank the uh, distinguished majority leader for sharing with us that he had voted 49 times to raise the debt ceiling. Because when he came into this body, the debt was about a trillion dollars. Today, it's $28.5 trillion. So thank you, I, I guess, on behalf of the people of America who are staring at $28.5 trillion of debt. Here's the thing. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle are asking us to support a half a trillion dollar increase in the debt. Half a trillion dollars. Now, the American people can't even keep up with what those numbers even mean. But they do know that those dollars are being used to fund government tyranny over their lives. That's what those dollars are being used for. For a border that's not secure. For cartels that are ripping into Texas. For critical race theory being taught to our children. To not fund police. To have the FBI going after parents in school boards. Vax mandates shutting down businesses. Forcing people to comply or they lose their job. Energy poverty. Preventing people from actually getting the energy to heat their homes, drive their cars, and go to work. That is what my colleagues on the other side of the aisle want us to borrow half a trillion dollars to keep funding. So please forgive me if I vote no to rack up more debt for my kids and grandkids to fund the tyranny over the minds and the hearts of the American people that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle wish to continue to fund. And no, I haven't voted for a debt ceiling increase before. And I certainly haven't voted 49 times to raise the debt from $1 trillion to $28.5 trillion, as has the majority leader. That's like sending our kids to college and giving them a credit card to cover their necessary expenses. And then when they call and uh, they're supposed to get so much money on that credit card every month and they reach their max, they call and say, Mom, Dad, man, I, I, I don't have any more room on my debit card or credit card. I need, I've got to do this. I've got to go there. I've got to buy this or whatever. And so instead of saying, you know what? You need to bite the bullet, son, daughter. You spent the money. You chose to spend it where you chose to spend it. Now you got to pay the price. Suck it up. You're going to have to deal with it. Instead of doing that, every time the kid calls, you just you don't up the limit on their card. You just send them a brand new credit card with a big, big, big possible balance that they can put on it by continuing the same policy. That's exactly what the U.S. government is doing today. Yes, they did last night. The House passed raising the debt ceiling limit. I think it was $700 billion they uh, they raised it. It's only temporary. It's going to expire in December, and we're going to have to go right back down this road again and do the same thing. And it always ends up the same. It's not costing these men and women, those 535 men and women that serve in the United States Congress, it's not just costing them a little bit of extra money. It's costing you and me and our kids and their kids and their kids' kids and our great-great-great-great-great-grandkids are all going to have to pay for this stupid spending and borrowing of money that those 535 men and women in Washington, D.C. are now signing up to let the government spend it again. 
and again and again. It just makes absolutely no sense. You know something we haven't mentioned today? Illegal immigration and the horrors that have been happening at our southern border. Just moments ago, while we were at break, some brand new news leaked out of the Border Patrol. Listen to this, folks. It has been confirmed with actual documents that at least 160,000 illegal immigrants have been released into the U.S., often with little to no supervision, by the Biden administration since March. 160,000, and it gets worse. Listen to this. They, the Biden administration, put a policy in place to use limited parole authorities. Now, what does that mean, Dan? It makes more than 30,000 of these 160,000 illegals eligible for work permits. And so what does that mean? They can go get these jobs and take them away from people that are here legally, immigrants that are here legally, or even worse, from natural Americans, people born here that have been living here and working in these different areas that these illegals are going to target for jobs. The documents gave a partial snapshot into how the Biden administration and his brain surgeon heading Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, how they've been releasing enormous numbers of migrants into the U.S., often with no oversight, no supervision, or even any immediate risk of deportation. And we actually have a document that I'm looking at that confirms this. Since March 20th, At least 94,570 illegal immigrants have been released into the U.S. with those notices to report to a local ICE office wherever they're going to work and live. Those who receive this notice are only required to check in with that ICE office when they get to their final destination, which could be anywhere across the nation, folks. And not every country, uh, company, uh, not every county, every city, every state, not every one of them has a local ICE office. So there's nobody or no place for them to check in when they get there. If and when they check in, they're not deported or detained as their immigration proceedings move forward. That's the legal way, I guess, to do it. Meanwhile, since August 6th, the Biden administration has released roughly 32,000 immigrants into the U.S. via that parole thing. What that does, it gives migrants a form of legal status and the ability to apply for work permits. Federal law says parole authorities to be used on a case-by-case basis for, and I quote, urgent humanitarian purposes and significant public benefit. Typically, only a handful of parole cases are granted, but the Biden folks, they've been using it more broadly, including in its parole of tens of thousands of Afghans end of the U.S. is part of that crazy leaving Afghanistan. So this morning, former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott, he served under President Biden. He reviewed the documents and he said he believes the administration is abusing its parole authority. You think? He said, by law and regulation, a parole shall only be granted on a case-by-case basis, only for significant humanitarian reasons or public benefit. Neither of these apply to the current situation, he said. 
He added that the number of parolees bringing into question the review and approval process. As a field chief, I don't believe I ever approved more than five or ten paroles in a year, he said. When I did, I ensured that the alien was monitored continuously and was detained or removed as soon as the circumstances allowed. Oh, by the way, an additional 40,000 illegal immigrants were released on their own recognizance. In other words, you be a good boy, you be a good girl. You go out there and find a place to interject yourself. Don't break any laws. They should be saying, don't break any more laws. Your being here is breaking the law. But we're going to give you a pass on that. The documents show that on one single day in Del Rio, 128 single adult illegals were released into the U.S. without anything any kind of notice, any kind of detention. And that normally includes tracking by an ankle monitor or a cell phone. This craziness, when, you, when, you, when you're tempted to think, ah, we've reached a peak, it's over, now they're going to close the border. Now we're going to get back to uh, enforcing the law. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is the insanity ever going to stop? Is it ever going to stop? I, I just don't know. Another good one that popped up this morning. A judge has ordered United Airlines not to place workers seeking an exemption to the COVID-19 vanda- uh, vaccine mandate that they have. The judge ordered for them not to put them on unpaid leave. District Judge Mark Pittman is the one who issued this so that workers who filed for an exemption aren't unduly harmed before he can hear oral arguments in the case. Six United Airlines workers sued the company last month over its plans to put on leave any employees who requested religious or medical exemptions. The suit said the employees were effectively told they'd be terminated if they sought these exemptions and alleged that the company was violating Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, also the Americans with Disabilities Act. United's actions have left plaintiffs with the impossible choice of either taking the COVID vaccine at the expense of their religious beliefs and their health or losing their jobs and their livelihood. In doing so, United has violated those two sections that we told you. And uh, they've done so by failing to engage in the interactive process and provide reasonable accommodations, and also by retaliating against employees who tried to act, engage in protected activity. And then up in Massachusetts, folks, back to this craziness, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, who's a Republican, by the way, yesterday activated the National Guard to both help test students for the Chinese coronavirus and cover possible staffing shortages at the Department of Correction. In doing that, he activated as many as 450 members of the National Guard to assist with those two missions specifically. According to the governor's press release, 200 members of the National Guard will be used to assist with testing school children for the virus. Another 250 are going to offset potential staffing shortages at the Department of Corrections. The governor's office describes it as a contingency measure in anticipation of possible shortages 
at the DOC. All of this stuff, everything that comes up now that seems to be a problem, or it is a problem, it comes not just in a report, it comes with a broad, far-left explanation for all of it. What they're leaving out, folks, is in the numbers that we shared with you just a little bit ago. 4.3 million people in the month of August, 4.3 quit their jobs, just walked away from their jobs. So the workforce is shrinking, not because of unemployment, but because people quit their jobs. And when you quit your job, you can't get unemployment insurance. So you're not classified as being in that unemployment uh, sector. You're classified as one of those 4.3 million that just said to heck with it. I'm going to the house. And, And granted, everybody's got the will to make their own choices, the right to make their own choices about that. But doesn't all of this make you just scratch your head and ask questions? What the heck's going on? Why is it going on? I just can't see a scenario in which people just leave work. I mean, come on, it costs to live today. You don't live free. You don't live cheap anywhere in America either. Cheap is, I know, a subjective term. But I don't care what part of America you find yourself living in. you got to have income coming from somewhere. You just have to to make it. And if you just walk away from a job, $4.3 million in one month, that's just wrong. Well, guess what else has happened? Hunter Biden, more big news out, more confirmation that the president, his daddy, Uncle Joe, lied about his involvement and his knowledge about Hunter Biden's work stuff. And guess what else? They share a bank account. What's going in and out of that bank account? You'll get it from the horse's mouth right after this. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Beat yourself up hotline. Is this the beat yourself up hotline? Yes, sir. If you'd like to beat yourself up, this is the place to do it. Okay, I'd like to beat myself up now, please. Go right ahead when you're comfortable. I am so stupid. I can't believe how stupid I am. What an idiot. I left all my holiday shipping until the last minute again. Now it's a huge hassle. Why do I have to do this to myself every year? When, oh, when will I learn? You beat yourself up very well, sir. Thanks. But maybe you should just log on to SmartShip.com. SmartShip.com? Right. Type in your zip code and SmartShip.com tells you the fastest, easiest, most affordable way to do your holiday shipping, even at the last minute. Wow. SmartShip.com? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Well... Why do I have to have somebody else tell me what to do? Oh, sir... When, oh, when will I ever have an original thought? You're really good at this, sir. I've been told it's a gift. 
SmartShip.com, the way smart shipping is done. Is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out together. Again, Dan Newman. Well, let's try to wade into and figure out, get some factual information about the involvement of Hunter Biden with his dad, Joe Biden, when Joe was either a U.S. senator or vice president of the United States, and if there was any um, illegal stuff going on regarding money or anything else. Listen to these guys. Break it down. Well, President Biden has long denied getting involved with his son Hunter's business dealings. Remember this? Did Hunter Biden commit a crime? Have you spoken to your son, Mr. President-elect? How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Period. But new emails obtained by the Daily Mail reveal that Hunter and his dad reportedly shared bank accounts and paid each other's bills. So could that get the president drawn into Hunter's FBI probe of his finances? Let's bring in Fox News contributor and law professor at George Washington University, Jonathan Turley. Professor, good morning. Thank you, Steve. So Hunter Biden revealed in the last couple of months that, yeah, I'm under federal investigation for tax and stuff like that. So if they shared a bank account, he with the current president of the United States, you would think that in ordinary times they would be looking into the president's uh, finances as well. Yeah, this undermines much of what the president has said, but it's not the first time. You know, the president has repeatedly said he has no knowledge, no involvement in these investments. That has been contradicted by witnesses and emails. Uh, he is referred to in some emails as the big guy, and some of those emails indicate an actual percentage cut was discussed for uh, now President Biden. With these disclosures, we have accounts being used to pay both uh, Hunter and Joe Biden and money being reimbursed to Hunter Biden from an individual associated with a company called Rosemont Seneca. Right. Now, that's a company that has been tied to payments from China and Russia. And so this is getting more and more serious. The question is why the Justice Department hasn't considered uh, the appointment of a special counsel. You know, even we, we know there's a criminal investigation going on into the tax issues, possible money laundering. But there's also serious questions about whether the Biden family conducted an extensive influence peddling operation involving not just Hunter, but his uncle and potentially the president of the United States. And what a special counsel can do is produce a report. And we, we're really in a position where we need an independent report to be done. Because, Steve, if you remember, back in the day, people like Adam yep. Smith, uh, uh, Schiff said, this is all Russian disinformation. <laughs> right. And a bunch of former intelligence officials says, this is coming out of the Kremlin. All that was untrue. Uh, absolutely. And they're sticking to that story. They say, yeah, there was a lot of that going on back then. Uh, 40 seconds, Jonathan. You know, if this were Donald Trump uh, in the big chair at the White House uh, and this was revealed, right. you know, you know for a fact the DOJ, Trump's own DOJ, would be appointing a special counsel. 
Well, yeah, and Trump's DOJ did. Yeah. And the amazing thing is that there's not this drumbeat to say we need something to be done. When the President Biden says that my son did nothing wrong, that's clearly untrue. We can debate whether there was a criminal act, yeah. but influence peddling is wrong. It's been the scourge of this city for generations. And exit question. The odds of this DOJ appointing a special prosecutor? Special counsel? Not very high. Uh, not very high, particularly with the media continuing a yep. virtual blackout. All right. Jonathan, we thank you very much for joining us today from D.C. So what does this mean? Well, if you listen to Jonathan Turley, who is not a Republican, he is not a conservative, but he's a constitutional law expert. It doesn't look like Joe Biden is going to face anything in the way of proving or disproving his illegal maybe unethical, maybe illegal activity regarding anything financial that involved Hunter, his son. This is just another example of they can get away with anything they want to in Washington, D.C. Their standards, the stuff that they're held to, not the same as you and me. That's going to be the final for today's show, folks. Thanks for joining us here on Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Nine o'clock sharp. Tell somebody about the show. Tell them how to get along and get aboard and participate with us. Thank you for being part of the family. We will see you tomorrow morning right here at TNN Live.